From Bloomberg Law, this is Uncommon Law. I'm Adam Allington. As of Thursday afternoon when we recorded this, here are the new developments in the Derek Chauvin trial. Charges of third-degree murder have been reinstated. There was no appeal from the defense, and jury selections moving forward with 6 of 12 jurors seated as of Thursday afternoon. But what do we know about the man overseeing the murder trial that launched last summer's protests following the killing of George Floyd? My name is Pete Cahill, and I am one of the judges of the district court. And you have been summoned as potential jurors in the case of State of Minnesota versus Derek Chauvin, which is a criminal case related to the death of George Floyd on May 25th, 2020. Speaking from behind a plexiglass shield and with cameras rolling for the entire world to watch, the spotlight's on Cahill. Lydia Wheeler is a legal reporter for Bloomberg Law, and she wrote a profile piece about Cahill. Lydia, welcome to the program. So here's a guy who I think most of us hadn't heard of before a few weeks or maybe a few months ago for some. Lydia, what did you learn about Judge Cahill? So I think a lot of people are wondering who this guy is, right, that will be presiding over this high stakes trial. Um, And what I learned is that Judge Cahill has um, actually been at both tables on the other side of the bench. He's been a state prosecutor, but he's also been a public defender and a criminal defense attorney. So I see from his biography on the Minnesota Judicial Branch's website that he was appointed to the bench by Republican Governor Tim Pawlenty back in 2007. What do you know about his track record as a judge? Are there any clues as to his judicial philosophy or temperament? So from what we've seen, um, it seems like he's pretty moderate. Uh, He's been appointed by a Republican governor, um, but before he was a judge, he served as the chief deputy to the Hennepin County attorney, who was then um, Amy Klobuchar. And Klobuchar is now uh, represents Minnesota as a Democrat in the Senate. And we've seen some pretty moderate rulings from Judge Cahill. Um, In 2015, he actually dismissed all the charges that were brought against the organizers of a Black Lives Matter protest at the Mall of America. Um, In that ruling, he actually commended the organizers of the protest in addition to um, the local police officers and the Mall of America management for kind of all working together ahead of the protest to make sure that it remained peaceful, even if it was happening um, illegally on private property. Um, And he specifically said, like, not all protests, you know, turn out that way. And we saw that in Minneapolis after George, George Floyd's death last year. But also in that ruling, I will note that he did let misdemeanor trespassing charges proceed against 14 people um, who participated in the protest, and about 10 of them were ultimately convicted. Lydia, there are just so many different aspects of this trial for a judge to consider, everything from the cameras in the courtroom to mitigating for COVID-19 to the very real prospect of civil unrest outside. But I gather from your story that many people in Minnesota feel that Judge Cahill is probably one of the best choices to oversee a case like this. Yeah, one of the people I interviewed for my story was Mike Bryant, and he's a personal injury and criminal defense attorney based in Minneapolis. He's argued cases before Judge Cahill, and he says that he has a reputation of being a fair and deliberative judge. He understands the rules well. Um, He's a taskmaster, and he keeps people to the deadlines. He keeps people to being on time. Um, He expects good lawyers um, in his courtroom. Um, And overall, he's a a well-respected judge overall in the state. When you 
try a case, you want to make sure you have a judge who kind of stays out of your way and lets you try the case. So he'll make rulings. He won't he won't sit around on his rulings. He'll make a decision fast. He'll get it done, and he'll let lawyers be lawyers. You know, in in that if they do a good job, they'll they'll be free to do what they need to do in the courtroom. So far, Bryant says there have been no big surprises that Judge Cahill has acted in the way he would expect him to. Case in point, he says, is the critically important task of questioning and seating unbiased jurors. He's given the attorneys the chance to ask questions they need to ask. Um, and when he's been brought into rule, when there's questions that have come up, um, you know, when the, the issue came up with the striking of the Hispanic uh, potential juror and whether or not that was a Batson violation, meaning that they got struck because they were Hispanic, you know, he ruled on that quickly. He listened to the to people's arguments and made a decision that it wasn't a violation and that they could continue to go ahead. Lydia, you already mentioned the fact that the TV cameras will be broadcasting the entire trial. I think it's fair to say that the last time the nation was this captivated by a court proceeding was probably the O.J. Simpson trial, which also unfolded in large part on TV. Does that add another element to the case, in your opinion? I mean, is there any potential for attorneys to, you know, play to the crowd, so to speak? And what might Cahill do to respond to that? So this is such a high stakes profile case and and attorneys tell me it really presents an opportunity for the defense lawyer and members of the prosecution team to really make a name for themselves because there will be cameras rolling. Um, It'll be interesting to see how Judge Cahill responds to those type of attempts to grandstand or play to the public and the press. Um, how he treats the prosecution and the defense could really determine how the public views the fairness of this trial. Uh, But attorneys who have argued before Judge Cahill tell me that he's not the type of judge who's going to be afraid to tell attorneys like, hey, tone it down or stop talking. Um, And actually, some of those conversations might be happening already behind closed doors because he might already be prepared for some of that to take place. Lydia Wheeler is a legal reporter for Bloomberg Law. It was nice to talk to you, and I'm sure we'll have you back on soon. Thanks so much for having me. According to the Minneapolis Star Tribune, Cahill is known for being decisive. In 2019, he sentenced Kenneth Lilly to seven years in prison for shooting a school bus driver. He also handed down a 24-year sentence to Thomas Incantalupo, a former ice skating coach who was convicted of repeated sexual assaults on students between 14 and 16 years old. And of course, the big news on Thursday that Judge Cahill would allow the charges of third-degree depraved mind murder to be included in the case against Chauvin. All right. Uh, With regard to the state's motion to reinstate, the court is going to grant the motion uh, to reinstate, and I want to go a little bit at length addressing it. Uh, Obviously, the Noor opinion came out, and it was very clear that I disagreed with it, said so, uh, denied the motion initially because of my disagreement, but not without first checking to see if I was duty bound to follow it as precedent. And now based on the defendant's appeal, this Court of Appeals has made it very clear, yes, I was bound from the moment the opinion was filed. And I accept that. Uh, I even agree with the decision in State versus Chauvin that their opinions have precedential value immediately. 
For people who aren't familiar, the Mohammed Noor case is another case involving a Minneapolis Police Department officer who shot and killed Justine Damon, a native of Australia, when responding to a domestic violence call. In that case, the court found Noor guilty of third-degree murder, and now the prosecution in the Chauvin trial wants to use that case as precedent. So with me here to discuss the addition of those third-degree charges, as well as the role Judge Cahill will play in the case, is Nakima Levy-Armstrong. She's a civil rights lawyer and activist based in Minneapolis. Nakima, thanks so much for talking with me today. Hi, Adam. Thanks for having me. So... Just on the issue of this third-degree charge, according to Minnesota law, third-degree murder would require a lower standard of proof than second-degree, and to win a conviction, prosecutors would have to show that Floyd's death was caused by an act that was obviously dangerous, though not necessarily a felony. It carries a maximum sentence of 25 years. So, Nakima, do you think people who want to see Chauvin convicted would be satisfied with a third-degree charge? And thinking about the facts of this particular case, I believe that there are some folks who would be satisfied if there is a third degree murder conviction of Derek Chauvin. However, I believe that Derek Chauvin should be convicted of second degree murder, given the horrific and egregious nature of his conduct. The fact that George Floyd said he could not breathe at least 30 times, begged and pleaded to be allowed to breathe, called for his mother. Third degree murder, in my opinion, would be allowing Derek Chauvin off the hook far too easily. And it would send a signal to Minneapolis police officers that you can literally get away with murder and get a slap on the wrist, which I think is absolutely unacceptable. So many of us would not be satisfied with uh, a simple third degree murder conviction when in reality, Derek Chauvin's conduct went far, far beyond that. Nikima, you've been in the unique position of actually being part of a case Judge Cahill ruled on. This is the one involving the Mall of America protest back in December of 2015. At the time, I was um, assisting Black Lives Matter Minneapolis as one of their spokespersons in the media discussing why these protests against police violence were happening here and also why we were going to have a mass demonstration at the Mall of America. Protesters in Minneapolis tonight disrupting one of the biggest shopping days of the year at the biggest mall in the country. Demonstrators vowed to bring mall traffic to a standstill. And what was your assessment of Judge Cahill during that trial? I thought that Judge Cahill handled our case fairly. We had to appear in court in front of Judge Cahill multiple times. I was also allowed to go into chambers with the other attorneys who were present in that case. And ultimately, after almost a year of fighting for our charges to be dismissed, Judge Cahill, in a very lengthy decision, made the decision to dismiss our charges. So, of course, I was very thankful about the outcome. 
I felt that he read the information as carefully as he could and made a decision that was in the interest of justice. I'm sure that many people in the Twin Cities are watching the jury selection process unfold very closely. As someone who's advocated for civil rights within the Minnesota court system, what are you most concerned about as jury selection unfolds? One of the things that many of us raised concerns about prior to the start of the trial was the lengthy questionnaire that was sent to jurors, which included questions related to prospective jurors' assessment of Black Lives Matter and the defund the police movement, as well as Blue Lives Matter. Part of my concern in particular was focused on whether or not prospective jurors of color or those who are empathetic to the Black Lives Matter movement would be automatically excluded from the possibility of serving on a jury. My hope is that folks who are empathetic to the movement, who have participated in demonstrations, would still be given the opportunity to sit on the jury, weigh the facts, evidence, and information, and make an informed decision. Nikima Levy-Armstrong is an attorney and civil rights advocate based in the Twin Cities. Uncommon Law was produced by myself, Adam Allington, along with Marissa Horn and Lydia Wheeler. Josh Block is the executive producer of Bloomberg Industry Group Podcasts. Thanks so much for listening.